0: brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, are you ready to join my War of the Spark Best of One Sealed support group?
1: It's a support group of people who never want to play Best of One Sealed ever again. It is. Yes. I would love to be a founding member of this organization.
0: (laughs) War of the Spark Sealed, uh, if you've not had a chance to play yet, is a bit swingy, and I have been on the wrong end of the swings, and I think you have been on the wrong end of the swings a bit as well.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, so we're going to dive in this week with our uh, minimal, but you know, we've been trying to jam as much as possible with the uh, sponsored event on Tuesday from Wizards of the Coast on Arena, doing some Best of One Sealed, and then trying to play as much as we can over the past few days. Now that War of the Spark is live, though I will say I did text Ben yesterday, I think it was, and because I thought Draft was going to go live like it usually does on Friday. And I woke up, I was like, I'll just wait two hours and play Standard
0: instead. So that sort of <laughs> gives you an idea of how I feel about the Sealed format. Yeah, you texted me that you were playing Standard, and I didn't know what had happened i thought maybe somebody had kidnapped you
1: (laughs) who is this and what have you done with ethan
0: yeah i have literally played a war the spark sealed in every spare moment i have so i have i have maxed out
1: yeah i i I would say so so we're gonna just try and just dump as much information as we can about the format and i think the first thing we want to do is maybe
0: check in on the trophy leaderboard do we have to we don't have to It's a little rough. So I have gotten six seals done on MTGO. I have zero trophies. My record is 16 and 30. uh, No, not 16 and 33. That would be real bad. My record is 16 and 13 for a 55% win rate. I will say, though, I have had some pretty clunkers of pools that I am pretty proud of pulling three twos out with. Yeah, I mean, this sealed format feels very unforgiving
1: if you don't like, you know, open the bombs that you can play or have a pretty streamlined two color deck. It's hard to get there. Otherwise, Um, I have four and a half sealed done. I'm in the middle of one right now. I've one trophy um,
0: 14 and nine win loss record for a 61 percent win rate. Nice, nice. And if we check in on arena, I've got seven seals done, still zero trophies. An 18 and 21 record for my first ever, I think, below 50% win rate at the start of a format. I have a 46% win rate on Arena Best of One Sealed. Yeah, I
1: stopped keeping track. I think I maybe maybe had some more like a 3-3 or something here or there. I had five that I kept track of, one quote unquote trophy, so one 7 and X win. Uh, 24 and 14 for a 63% win rate. But woof. This format is a yikes, Ben, and we're going to I think maybe we'll we'll try and discover some some reasons why we we think that is and maybe some ways to combat the uh, the bad luck, quote unquote, that we've been having. But before we get into any of that, it's time to talk about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is the place where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we have some perks there. And of course, you know, every week I talk about the Lords of Limited Discord, you know that that's the place to be to talk about a new format. You know that you want to be there right now. You know that we're breaking War the Spark in Sealed and in Draft. Well, maybe not Ben and I, but you know, the fine folks that are <laughs> in the Discord are certainly doing their darndest to do so. But we are ever approaching our next stretch goal, Ben. We are mere dollars away from unlocking lords of limited merchandise which we are very excited and i think you know a little anxious about uh the amount of work that will go into getting all that stuff out to folks but it's going to be worth it the support is overwhelming and we're really really thankful and excited to get some lol merch out into the streets
0: yeah i'm really looking forward to it
1: And each and every week, we want to make sure that we shout out our new patrons. So strap in. It's a doozy. We got a long list this week. We're very, very thankful for Matthew, Ramon, Jesse, Justin, Sam, D, Gleb, Sam, Y, David, Brian, Brian D, Kevin, Ahmad, Tyler, Evan, Martin, Lionel, Mike, Ian, George, Rob, Josh, DMG, and
0: Gavin. Boy, howdy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I know what you're going to say here. Holy patrons, Batman. Yeah, these folks know what's up. They want to get in on the start of the format. And I think rightfully so. This one is a tricky one. And I think we're gonna to have to do some work to figure it out.
1: Yeah, agreed. So let's just dive right in. I know we have a ton to jam into this hour, Ben. So I wanted to just, you know, tick off our usual format overview questions, and then we'll dive in a little bit more specifically. So I'm gonna I'm gonna toss to you a softball here. Is this a prince or a pauper format?
0: Yeah, this is maybe the most Prince format I have ever played, maybe with the exception of Fate Reforged, although these rares, some of them seem even more powerful in game warping than some of those. Yeah, I agree. It'd be interesting to see what
1: happens in draft. But like when you drafted Fate Reforged, you basically just took the rare out of the pack like 90% of the time. There were so many cards that were worth like abandoning ship for, and it was just a, a very busted format in the rare slot. But I'm not even sure just that the rares
0: are the problem here, though. They're a big part of the problem. I think one of the other Prince things in the sealed is do you win the uncommon planeswalker lottery? Because that that's like a big gap between the best uncommon walkers and the worst uncommon walkers. And the best ones are like split and go in many different kinds of decks. And the worst ones you just don't ever play.
1: Right. I mean, we'll get to this a little bit later, but I think Vraska takes the cake as the best uncommon walker. Would you say so? I would agree. Yeah. And the thing about her and, and a number of the other ones, I would say Angrath is one of the best ones as well. And they're both hybrid. And so you not only get to open these very, you know, powerful cards, but you're very likely to be able to fit them into your deck because they can go in so many different color combinations. Agreed. Um, so looking at the set in the context of Sealed, I think I've found it to be sort of split into two broad directions in terms of how you build your deck. And this is because I think it's so bomb centric. So many of the games that I think you and I have played have been decided by basically one turn. And that one turn either consists of a single card being played that just feels like there's no way for me to uh, interact with or uh, a sequence of plays. I'm thinking of proliferate in particular as being an offender here of like something gets out of hand too quickly. I can't recover from. And so I think you either build a deck that maximizes your bombs or your ability to have those kinds of turns, or you build a deck that wins by mitigating your opponent's bombs. So trying to win before that happens or be in control of the board before that happens.
0: Yeah, I do feel like I've got a lot of experience at this point building decks that are trying to mitigate my opponent's bombs. I have not been on the casting end of the bombs, at least on MTGO much. So I really have started to prioritize evasive Two drops and discard and just ways, ways to interact, any ways to interact with what my opponent's doing have gone way up for me and sealed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel about play
0: versus draw in this format? Again, I've not had tons of bomby decks, so most of my decks have been looking to be aggressive, despite that not really where you want to be in sealed. So I've been on the play a fair amount. The one time I did build a multicolored deck with a semi-sketchy mana base, I was drawing not in the dark, but I was drawing pretty comfortably after I knew it was safe to do so. Drawing in the dark would make me a little scared because I really value impacting the board super early right now. But I could see if you've got, you know, a four or five color mana base with good early interaction that you could still draw in the dark.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where I land on here. It feels much more deck dependent to me than it did in, say, Ravnica Allegiance, where I just felt like even if you had a good two color deck that was aggressive I would still feel pretty good about drawing there just because I felt like the extra card mattered a lot and people were often building clunky decks so putting people on the the play to make the mulligan more often than not was was correct I think here I'm not sure and I think it does depend on whether or not you're you do get that good streamlined two color deck or if you've got a like a good, five color good stuff deck, four color good stuff deck that can interact a lot. I think being on the draw there is is correct. My one trophy was a just a five color good stuff deck with a bunch of fixing. And I was on the draw in the dark with that deck every time because I just felt like I could interact and I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity to get that extra card to get my fixing in line.
0: Yeah, I do think the uncommon walkers sort of incentivize you to be on the play because a lot of them are a lot better coming down a turn earlier. Like they either set up defense for themselves before your opponents had a chance to make more impactful plays or they just give you a chance to get them down on an empty board where they're just absolutely absurd
1: yeah yeah that makes sense i have found i mean i think this is the case a lot for sealed i think you and i probably have the same sort of pattern of what we do when we open a sealed pool i like first i check my rares and then i look at what my fixing is like that was the case in Ravnica allegiance i would go look at the bombs and then i looked at What are my gates? What do my gates let me do? And here I'm going straight forward. Do I have Gateway Plaza and what colorless fixing do I have? And is my green deep enough? And if it is deep enough, do I have fixing there? And I feel like a lot of that is dictating what my pool allows me to do.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Gateway Plaza is the card I am most excited to open outside of bomb rares at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder if that will transfer over to draft. I imagine
1: it will. You know, Dustin Stern released his like grading of all the cards unlimited. limited. You can follow him on Twitter and see that awesome uh, graphic that he made. And he has Gateway Plaza pretty high. I think he he thinks that the format is bomby enough that fixing is going to be at a
0: premium. Yeah, I, it's sealed. Certainly feels that way. And I could, I could imagine draft shaking out that way as well.
1: In terms of getting a feel for colors or color pairs, are there things that are standing out to you as like consistently good or consistently underwhelming
0: uh white has been a little underwhelming it's hard enough it's been hard to get deep enough playables in white like there are some good cards like the pegasus is really good the tapper is really good uh wanderer strike is that the name of it the four and a white destroy target creature proliferate yeah that has been pretty impressive but past that it goes shallow pretty quickly i mean the three four flyer is a good card i've not found myself you know, loving white. I I keep getting these sealed pools where I play white green and I am pretty off of white green in this format because there's not a lot of tools to, to combat opposing planeswalkers in white green. So green has seemed super deep to me. And there's a lot of creatures that are on the ground in green that like look totally reasonable. But if the board stalls out and your opponent plays a planeswalker, your semi efficient ground creatures just don't do enough, I don't think. So, I mean, green has been deep White's been a little shallow, but I've ended up there a lot. Uh, Black's removal has been outstanding. I feel pretty good when I'm able to play black in my seal pool.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. So I have black and green pegged as the best colors in seals, and I have white pegged as the worst. But black green has that problem that you were just talking about, where if the board stalls out and they land a rare planeswalker, you know, one that can continue to generate value with an uptick. It's really hard to bust through. I just like look, I pull up my screenshot of my deck and I go, "Oh, I have nothing that breaks through this board stall here. I have no way to get to that Planeswalker. You know, I just need I need just a removal spell for it. I can't actually plan to get to it via combat, which is frustrating.
0: Yeah, the decks I've actually liked playing the most. I had a pretty solid blue black deck. I didn't have any rares or anything, but just good commons and uncommons. I really enjoyed playing a blue black sealed pool that just had some flyers. It had Aven eternals. It just felt like I was able to interact with what my opponent was doing. And I had evasion to not get stuck in those board stalls. It felt like it had a lot of game.
1: Yeah. One of our discord members, uh, Martini, I hope he won't mind me shouting him out, but he had a real strong start to sealed on magic online. Uh, he had, Two trophies in his first three drafts. He was 14 and one in his first three sealed pools, which was awesome. And his two trophy decks were blue black. So I, that may be just the perfect combination of like deep roster of commons. You have a lot of removal. You have good planeswalkers. You have good evasive threats. I think that's like a nice, neat little package.
0: Well, and I think Tamiyo's Epiphany is also just busted in half and sealed the three and a blue scry four draw two. Yes, I would play as many copies of that as I opened.
1: Yes, I that's a huge groan test for me if I feel like things are like going along. My opponent and I are one for one or whatever, and then they cast a Tameo's Epiphany and I just feel so far behind. You know, I just want to talk a little bit more specifically about why I feel like white is bad and why I feel like black and green are are super strong. So I feel like the white's big problem. And I think there's this weird tension in this format of like wanting to play planeswalkers and wanting to play ways to protect planeswalkers and want to play things that pressure planeswalkers. Yes, I agree so hard with that. (laughs) I feel like white doesn't have good creatures you know it's got the broken arrow to deal the deal for it's got the the wanderer strikes it's got some like okay removal but the pegasus is really the only good creature the griffin is fine the three four flyer for five the tapper is great
0: that's not really a creature it's like a removal spell
1: yeah that tapper is great though for sure i i splashed that in my black green deck the other day yeah i just i think that white doesn't maybe get the goods creature wise and i'm hoping that perhaps once synergy comes into play and we're proliferating things that then we maybe get there but a lot of its creatures have felt underwhelming um black's removal is so good and that lazatep reaver is fantastic i think that's the one in a black one two that has a mass one i've been very impressed by that card
0: yeah even running Running out Lazatep Reaver into Lazatep Reaver doesn't feel that bad. It's two, three worth of stats for two mana, which does a good job defending. And if you don't have attacks, eh, it's fine. And it can still help you go wide if you ever really need to get a Planeswalker down. I've been very impressed with that card. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to end up
1: eating my hat about the Black Red Sacrifice deck, though I haven't seen it in sealed obviously i think it's just way too hard for that to come together um but i i think the pieces are
0: there for that deck to be good yeah i've seen i've seen hints at that as well
1: yeah and and green i mean we talked about this last week in the crash course but the, the roster of commons again is so deep you know green gets a good removal spell here for the first time in a while it feels like and band together and then just so many creatures are great. The Pollen Bright Druid, the Bloom Hulk, the Arlen's Wolf, the four, five for five that gives everything trample that is power four or greater. There's just like a lot of good, pretty beefy threats along the curve.
0: I will say the people that are calling Band Together, that's the green, two and a green removal spell, that are calling that murder, it is not murder.
1: No, it's still requires quite a bit of setup and you still can't just fire it
0: off willy nilly you know and you can't play it in a deck with 11 creatures yeah (laughs) certainly certainly in sealed like that's come up a fair amount as well Mm -hmm.
1: though i think you know when you've got i think it goes up a little bit in value and you have maybe that those underwhelming death touchers you know because then you know that you can just get the thing dead but yeah i agree it's tough in sealed i mean i i had a coaching session the other day and the person i was working with kept saying like oh i want I just want to have like a good curve of creatures. And I was like, it's not going to happen. Like there's there's 20, 25 fewer creatures in this set at common and uncommon than we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, it's not uncommon for me to have laid laid out a color pair where I've got some good rares and like I want to play and then I've got six creatures in that (laughs) color pair or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think if, if you have the support pieces for, say, a blue red deck, maybe you can get there with even sub 10 creatures. But otherwise, it's I feel like it's not. Going to be uncommon to have like 10 to 12, 13 creatures or whatever. I don't think you're going to see 15, 16, 17 creature sealed decks.
0: Yeah, I think 15 is the most I've had so far in any of my pools.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that seems above average to me. All right, it's time to talk about the elephants in the room. I think, I mean, now we don't even need to consider the mythic planeswalkers. The rare planeswalkers are busted, I think. They really are. They're really oppressive. So they're so cheap, and yeah, they are only have two abilities, but the static on almost all of them is so super relevant. Well, and they have such a high loyalty when they come onto the battlefield as well. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at something like Sorin, that's the two white Black Walker, it's, comes into play with four loyalty and upticks for two. So it's going to come in at six loyalty and the static ability is so relevant, giving everything lifelink. It's it's really tough to deal with a lot of those. The, the, the ones that come in for cheap and have a high loyalty.
0: Yeah, and I think Sarkin has been the most offensive. Sarkin and Nyssa, I think, have been the two most offensive. So Sarkin is the three red red and can make four, four flying dragons. And then when you try to attack Sarkin to kill it, the static ability sort of protects him for every dragon your opponent controls, it deals a damage to your attacking creatures. So it lets your opponent's creatures trade up while they're defending him. And then Nyssa just making three, three trees that like untap and can tap for mana and protect themselves it, it just feels both of those get out of hand super quickly
1: mm-hmm. yeah there is a lot of reading in this format i think that's something you've been saying a lot and i agree and i think something i really underrated moving into the format like starting to play this week was the static abilities on a lot of these walkers even some of the uncommon ones i'm like wait it gets to do what it, it, it's really a, a lot to to have to deal with in one card
0: I will say some of my low arena win rate is to punting Planeswalker static abilities. So if you've not played much with the set, I would highly encourage you to try very hard to pay attention to Planeswalker static abilities. And the other thing I was thinking today while I was streaming, there's even been a couple times on Magic Online where I've still forgotten there has to be so much misplaying at pre-releases going on where just like nobody catches the static ability on the Planeswalker.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just another reason why playing in paper is inferior,
0: Ben. Yeah, 100%.
1: I think the uncommon walkers that protect themselves have impressed me as well, especially in conjunction with proliferate to be able to get that third activation. I think that's pretty huge. Um, So as we talked about before, I think Vraska is ahead of the pack here. That's the two and Golgari Golgari hybrid that makes the one one death touchers. But it also, if those death touchers connect, they get counters. That's the static ability. And the death touch creatures just kill planeswalkers upon hitting them. They have
0: death touch for planeswalkers, which is pretty huge as well. Yeah, that card's been very annoying to play against, and that's another one where if your plan is to attack on the ground and your opponent plays Vraska, you just are guaranteed getting two for one, and then Vraska is still hanging around, threatening to proliferate up or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a, such an interesting thing. I think we touched on this a little bit last week, but having these Planeswalkers down tick to one puts you in this awkward spot where you still probably have to divert some resources to finishing it off for fear of them being able to proliferate or bounce it or blink it or something.
0: Yeah. And I think we thought there might've been a mini game with when you're playing against black, do you kill it or not? Cause they might have aid the fallen. Uh-huh. I am a hundred percent from now on until the end of the earth, killing every planeswalker 100% dead until it no longer can breathe. Because anytime I've even thought about not trying to 100% squash them into the ground, you just get crushed.
1: Yeah yeah so i'd say like vraska is great casmina that's the blue one that makes two twos that loot that's been great i think tybalt's been pretty good you know the one one footlight fiends aren't like the most impressive but just again being able to get two of those creatures out of him for one card and then maybe you get to proliferate and get a third it's felt pretty good how have you felt about
0: davriel we had sort of had some contention there last week I really like Davriel in Sealed. I think Davriel's a pull into black for me. And it's it's been a three for one a fair amount of the time now that I've been trying to prioritize really having a battlefield presence starting on turn two. And I think Davriel Davriel has been good. Yeah, that's the two and a black, three loyalty down
1: ticks for one to make an opponent discard a card. I have also had a lot of times where like that just comes down on turn three and I know I'm going to get three cards out of my opponent. And that feels tough in Sealed.
0: Yeah, a lot of card advantage to make up there.
1: So beyond I guess the mechanic of Planeswalkers, you know, the two mechanics of proliferate and amass have felt very powerful to me. Proliferate in particular, I have seen I have seen be quite snowbally. A lot of the game winning turns, meaning not the turn where the game ends, but the turn where the game feels decided, come from a pretty incredible proliferate turn. You know, some double proliferate thing happens where six counters, eight counters are added to my opponent's creatures, and everything is just far too big for me to be able to deal with.
0: Yeah, I think it's Cure's Dam Breaker is that the five and a blue 5-6 when ETBs proliferate. Yeah. I think you might be right about that one. That one has been pretty impressive and backbreaking when it comes down.
1: Well, 5-6 also just feels bigger than everything.
0: It is huge, for sure.
1: Like, yeah, it just feels like even against the green creatures, it's going to match up pretty well. But So it's like a relevant body for the rate, right, and then if you get any number of counters, it also just feels super strong. And I've been impressed by a mass, you know? I, I've been impressed by a mass tacked on to things i should specify you know like the tormenting voice with the mass one or lazatep reaver or obviously i think the blue ones are sort of a, a league ahead in terms of the the Drake with a mass one or the the lord the sky lord that is a five mana three three that amassed two and then makes them uh all your mass tokens have flying i think uh i think those are all really strong I, i'm not sure where i'm at on the non tacked on a mass effects. What, what, what do you feel about those?
0: Yeah, I still don't love Relentless Advance. That's the three and a blue Amass three. It feels fine, I guess. I think I would happily play the first copy at this point because I think I was a little too low on Amass. But I think drawing the second copy of that card is going to feel pretty bad because it's essentially forcing you into playing an form ish card. And I know it's not exactly form because, you know, your opponent can use Removal to get the three three out from underneath it and then you're still going to make a three three you don't get two for one essentially mm-hmm. um th- so the floor is a lot higher on that card but ultimately i don't think you want to draw that card in multiples and a lot of the pt draft decks that i saw doing well did not have multiple copies of that card so i don't think it's like going to be a linchpin for the blue black amass archetype or anything
1: right yeah i think the amass tokens are sort of also a little sneaky because at least i felt this way facing them down where that you don't want to deal with the one one amass and so you're like ah, i'm gonna leave it alone like or maybe i'll like i got my chandra's Pyrohelix, helix and maybe i'll wait till they do something else but then you tap out and then they do something that allows that creature to become a two two or a three three and all of a sudden it's now a relevant body that you can't actually deal with cleanly with your removal spell or whatever so it's interesting because like the one ones feel like ah, i don't need to deal with that but it doesn't take much for that to then get out of control
0: I think sneaky is a good way to describe a mass. (laughs) It does feel a little sneaky, yeah. But I think the other problem with sealed is that these two mechanics are really powerful when you get the support for them. And so if you're up against a sealed pool that just happened to get like good proliferate synergy or happened to get good Amass synergy, their pool is by and large just 100% better than a pool that doesn't have that sort of synergy because the synergy is there and it is really powerful, but it doesn't come together regularly in sealed pools. Yeah, I agree.
1: And it just feels like another sort of like lottery-esque part of this SEALS format that's a little bit magnified because of how extreme some bombs are, or how extreme some of the synergies can be when they when they do come together.
0: But it makes me really excited to draft the format.
1: Yes, I I think so. I I still am holding out uh, hope for draft and we'll we'll have all of that info for folks next week, because I imagine that's all we'll be doing this coming week once it goes live. More thoughts about tension in this format for me. And that has to do with creature removal. So I feel like there's an awkward tension surrounding creature removal in this format, which is still good. But the main problem is, is that once the board stalls, which I don't think is, it doesn't happen a lot in sealed, but it does happen somewhat. And a walker goes unchecked, like we've been talking about, or some other bomb, then in those instances, most common creature removal doesn't help you you're like yeah i could kill this one thing but that still doesn't really open up this board for an attack for me
0: well it's not even necessarily that the board has to stall out when one person pulls ahead and lands a walker it's also a gigantic problem because your removal doesn't catch you back up enough because the walker is really the problem not the fact that your opponent is ahead
1: and it's already going to have generated the value. Like, it's not something that you can then be like, aha, I won for one. It's like, no, I finally drew my thing three turns later, but now it's it's just too late. Like, they've drawn three more cards, or they've made three creatures, or whatever. Like, they've killed a thing and upticked, and
0: now I still have to deal with it. It's just really hard. I will say, though, I, I you mentioned earlier this tension between, like, wanting to kill your opponent's creatures wanting to play creatures to attack your opponent's planeswalkers, wanting to play creatures to defend your planeswalkers and wanting to play your own planeswalkers. And I think that's super real, especially in sealed. And I think you need to decide when you're building your sealed deck, like what do I want to do? Do I want to build a deck to pressure my opponent's planeswalkers because I don't have good planeswalkers? Okay, great. I'm going to do that. But I think if you try to do it all, I think you end up in a little bit of pea soup and it doesn't end up working out super well for you. I will say right now I'm really high on creature removal in this set in Sealed.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I I like that. I think the way to get to where Ben, Ben is talking about is to start at those two big picture ideas we talked about at the start of the episode, which is just like. Does my debt, do I have the bombs and do I want to maximize those? And you'll know like what, if you play the seals format enough, like, you know, the gods, those are cards that are worth just like putting 39 ham sandwiches in your deck. And then one of those because they're busted or do I not have the busted cards and I need to, try and build a deck that's going to pressure those busted cards quickly. And then you've got to do that. And so I think you work backwards from there.
0: I think there are some powerful uncommon walkers that you just need to have a board presence for. But then you're giving up some other things like Davriel or Narset or, you know, I've seen Ashiok do some work in Sealed. As much as we joked about it in the Crash Course. Yeah, yeah. I do think Ashiok's been a real threat in Sealed in a certain style of deck and you just have to know that when you're putting those planeswalkers in your deck you're building a certain style of deck and i think you need to lean into it and try to clog up the board and protect those planeswalkers and then that probably means you're giving up some ability to pressure opposing planeswalkers Mm
1: -hmm. i did build a i had a i have not found that a lot of my pools have lent themselves to multiple decks in the sense of like, I've had multiple decks where I'm like, yeah, but just this one, like all these decks are basically doing the same kind of game plan. So it's about like picking which one of them is the best. But I did actually have a pool where I had like a red green aggro deck. But then I also had a blue white uber control deck with two Ashioks. So I was like, OK, well, I have these like two decks that are doing very different things. And I did find that the blue white Ashiok deck had game when the matchup was correct. Yeah. So maybe point for you, I'm loath to say. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we talked even about when we were looking early at spoilers weeks before uh, we did the crash course about how important board presence was in this format. And this is something you've been championing quite a bit. We're, we're, where are you at now on board presence
0: and sealed? I'm higher than I was before, if that's even possible, because I felt like that was going to be a key to the format coming in. But especially evasive early board presence, I've gone up on quite a bit. Um, but not to the extent that you're supposed to, I think, play bad two drops. Like, I still don't think you're supposed to put a two mana two two or a two mana two one in your sealed deck if you can help it. But the good two drops, I think, are really, really good. And especially the two cards that have impressed me. We're going to get to these a little bit in our overperformers, underperformers. But uh, Sky Theater Strix and Wars Creature, the one in a white one three flyer and the one in a blue one two flyer that gets plus one plus O oh, when you cast a non-creature spell. Both of those are just Good ways to get early board presence, they can ping out planeswalkers, and specifically in the right deck, Sky Theater Strix can deal two damage to an opposing planeswalker. Yeah, and the the difference between you know, when you're talking about the uncommon planeswalkers, the difference between Veraska getting two activations or one activation is huge, and same for all the others. So, Veraska getting to minus twice is a very good card, like a B level card. But if you can deal two damage to Veraska at not much cost to yourself, you turned Veraska into like a C. Or even a D plus, maybe like something that the opponent's overpaying for that style of effect. So I think just prioritizing ways to get to damage onto the uncommon planeswalkers or just even something that can pick in there is pretty important in this format. Yeah. All right. So we're going to dive into some
1: card specifics. We want to take a look at some rare encounters. You know, we don't really talk about rares or mythics during the crash course because... Uncommons and Commons are the meat and potatoes of all limited decks. So we don't like to focus on them before we get a chance to have our hands on them. But we have gotten to play with a handful. And I think it's important for some that may seem, you know, harder to evaluate or, or sneaky good or sneaky bad uh that we want to talk about here so the first one we got here is awakening of v2 gazi this is three green green for an instant put nine plus one plus one counters on target land you control it becomes a legendary zero zero elemental creature with haste named v2 gazi it's still a land Uh, i think both of us have gotten a chance to play with this card is that right yeah i like this card quite a bit i mean i don't think it's a bomb but i think it's pretty close um at least in sealed i would probably call it like a bb plus I don't know about in draft, like maybe just a clunky ground pounder isn't good. And even in sealed, sometimes it doesn't uh, get there. But it's often able to ambush at such a cheap cost.
0: Yeah, I think it's a B in sealed. It's been impressive. I liked it. It was not... You know, it didn't it's not a card that's going to win you the game on the spot or something, but it's a nice, efficient card. The next one is a card that uh, Travis and I
1: uh, were pretty contentious about in our set review, which is a plane wide celebration. This is five green green for a sorcery. Choose four. You can choose the same mode more than once. Uh, you create a two two citizen creature token. You can return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. You can proliferate or you can gain for life. I mean, I was pretty excited about this card because I really value. Single pieces of cardboard and magic that allow you to do multiple things. Like flexibility is huge and limited, I think. And this really just lets you do a ton of stuff i have gained 16 life off of this i have made four two twos off of this and every time i get to seven mana with it i'm happy to have it
0: yeah i think it's certainly a very flexible card i think it might be a tad slow for draft but i certainly think it's going to pull its weight in sealed
1: yeah i think it's a tad slow in draft though i think the proliferate text which i have found to be largely irrelevant and sealed is going to go way way up so it's really going to get a, a Another mode that I think has been ignored so far.
0: Next on the list, we've got Krenko, Tin Street Kingpin. This is two and a red for a one, two legendary creature goblin. Whenever it attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, then create a number of one, one red goblin creature tokens equal to Krenko's power. So when I saw this, I thought it only made one goblin when it attacked (laughs) initially, and it's absolutely bonkers. Also works super well in tandem with combat tricks like giant growth. You can just use your giant growth to poop out a team of five goblins on the first attack. If this goes unchecked, you win the game really, really hard. It's sort of like Hero of Bladehold in that respect. Uh, This single-handedly was responsible for a couple of my wins in a red-green sealed pool that I had.
1: Yeah. The other thing that's so gross is that they're not attacking. I feel like we're used to seeing these effects where the creatures are tapped and attacking. And the fact that you then, you can, like, attack with Krenko, and then you immediately get two or three, if you've done some work, blockers for your Planeswalker or whatever, so your opponent can't crack back. It's... It's a wild card,
0: very very strong. Yep, next up we've got Massacre Girl. I have not played with or against this yet. What's going on there?
1: Oh, I have played with and against Massacre Girl. So this is uh three black black for a 4/4 four, four with menace, which are just like good stats. And then when it enters the battlefield, uh each other creature gets -1 minus -1 one, minus one until end of turn, and then whenever a creature dies this turn, each creature other than Massacre Girl gets -1 minus -1 one, minus one until end of turn. So like if you have if there's just a 1/1 one, one on the board, then that dies and then It's going to kill like all the two, the X twos and then all the X threes. So the idea is that it sort of like does this chain of events. So I have had the experience where I can't play it or I I could play it, but it's not going to do anything. Um, But sometimes Wrath of God effects do that. But other times I've had it come into play and just totally wipe the board in a very favorable position. And much like a Wrath of God, sometimes you don't want to play it because it's going to like wipe your creatures and you don't want that. Like, but that means you're probably already ahead. Um, So I just think the card is really good and flexible. And when it
0: just clears the board, it feels gross. Next up, we've got Command the Dreadhorde. I've played against this one a couple times and I've had it in a deck. I've not cast it yet, but I think I know where it's good now. So it's four block black for a sorcery. Choose any number of target creature and or planeswalker cards in Graveyard. Command the Dreadhorde deals damage to you equal to the total converted mana cost of those cards. Put them onto the battlefield under your control. So this is just kind of like similar to Bolas's Citadel. You're paying life for cards, except you're getting them all immediately. So you really want this in a deck where you're planning on having a high life total fairly deep into the game. So if you can force like a an attrition war with your deck, Command the Dreadhorde is really, really good. But it's really terrible if you get behind or you're low on life total or you're racing. It's going to do nothing in those situations. But I do think it's really powerful and maybe worth trying to build that style of deck. And my opponents have absolutely crushed me with this card a couple of times when we've just been trading things off and they've been at 18, you know, on turn eight or something. And all of a sudden they pay. 12 life and put all this stuff on the battlefield and it doesn't matter that their life totals low because they're so turtled up that there's no chance for me to come back and ever deal in that six damage i had this
1: in an arena sealed towards the end and i uh i just couldn't help but be too greedy every time i cast it <laughs> like i got back three things when i really should have only gotten back two um so yeah just uh, don't indulge your greed if you're gonna play this card boys and
0: girls next up we've got deliver unto evil two and a black just a quick shout out here so this is choose up to four target cards in your graveyard if you control a bolus planeswalker return those cards to your hand otherwise an opponent chooses two of them leave the chosen cards in your graveyard and put the rest into your hand you need to choose four cards with this i've had a couple of people ask me why i chose four and not two if you choose two cards your opponent just gets to leave those two cards in your graveyard and you cast a three mana spell that does nothing so you just need to make sure if you put this in your deck it's not a good card but it's not a terrible card similar to command the dread horde if you anticipate an attrition war this is going to get back your third and fourth best card out of your graveyard. It's sort of a a, a divination that you do a lot of work for. So not good, but <laughs> it seems I mean, really bad to me. I'm not having, the worst. I've not seen
1: it played yet, so I can't. I feel like I will have to trust your opinion, but it seems awful. Get The description of get back your third and fourth best <laughs> card from your graveyard <laughs> is a bit of a yikes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not a great card. It's a playable two for one, though. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose playable is an interesting word. Yeah, sure. Okay, next up we've got Dread Horde Invasion. This is the Bitter Blossom variant. This is one in a black for the enchantment at the beginning of your rep keep you lose one life and a mass one whenever a zombie creature token you control with power 6 or greater attacks it gains a life link until end of turn. I have played with this and against it. It's 100 busted on turn two, and I think passable later into the game, even if it's just making you a chump blocker that's you know essentially losing you a life. So turning maybe you taking five damage into one life over multiple turns, it's good. And if you have any other army you know shenanigans, a mass shenanigans going on, this can get out of control in a hurry. I think Dreadhorde Invasion has certainly been a good card in sealed.
1: Yeah, I imagine this will be great in draft too. That looks super strong. Like we don't need limited players don't need Bitter Blossom. That this will do just fine. Next up, we've got enter the God Eternals. This is two blue, blue, black for a sorcery. Enter the God Eternals deals four damage to target creature and you gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. Target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, a mass four. So this makes at least a four, four or hasty four power. Deals four damage to something, so it's going to kill probably their best thing. You're going to gain four life, and you mill them for four, which isn't really relevant. I missed the life gain, I think, the first time I read this card. There's nothing
0: fair about what's happening on this piece of magic paper. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a solid A, and it's really, really good. Casualties of War is up next. This is two black, black, green, green. For a sorcery, choose one or more. Destroy target artifact, creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker, or, and or multiples of those, any combination. This has been fine, not great. Most often you're getting a creature in a land. Occasionally you're getting a creature, a Planeswalker in a land, but a lot of times that Planeswalker is on one loyalty or has already gotten an activation. This is a fine card, but you should not go out of your way to play this thinking it's a bomb or something. Mm, interesting. All right. Good to know.
1: Last card here is Storiv Devkarin Lich. This is one black, black, green for a five, four with trample. Whenever store of deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker return to your hand, target creature or planeswalker card in your graveyard that wasn't put there. This combat. I have not had the privilege of playing with story of yet, but I have had the discomfort of figuring out combat math multiple turns to try and get this to not connect with me in some way. It's really hard. Five power and trample makes this just a nightmare for you to ever swing your creatures sideways if you're worrying about this cracking back and gaining value
0: yeah i will say this is sort of an underperformer for me i've played with it a couple times and against it a couple times and i would add this to the category of creatures like challenger troll and the green eternal like it just comes down as a five five death touch these cards have all felt like a little worse than they look to me like, I look at the card, and I see, like, it's just raw stats, right? Like, it's a great-looking card. Yeah. But if the if the board gets clogged up at all, a lot of times your opponent has double blocks on, you know, Storeb or something, or Challenger Troll, like, can just get chumped into oblivion. I don't think attacking on the ground is, like, at a premium in this sealed format. I agree
1: with the argument about Challenger Troll, but this having Trample, I think, makes blocking really difficult it's tough certainly but all they have to have is two two threes and then it does nothing but not but like don't they have to fear you having a combat trick or a removal spell at instant speed and so then what are they going to do are they like lining up three creatures it like i feel like it i feel like it creates a sub game you know we talked about mini games unlimited i feel like this card creates a mini game because even if i have three creatures i don't think i can attack with any of them
0: I look, I recognize it's a powerful card. I'm just saying I like I've played with a lot of these ground pounders that look really good and they have woefully underperformed what I would have thought based on how good they look in raw stats. Right. That's fair. I've not played with the card yet, so I I can't speak to it. That moves us on to our top five over and underperformers, which are cards we definitely have played with and against quite a bit.
1: Yeah, so we, we stuck to just commons and uncommons here, um, but wanted to just sort of touch on some cards that I think have impressed us and some cards that have uh, unimpressed us. Um, no, in no particular order, what's first on
0: your list, Ben? Gateway Plaza and Mana Geode, a.k.a. Colorless Fixing. So Mana Geode is the three-mana manalith that can tap for one mana of any color, and you scry one on ETBs, and Gateway Plaza is the tapped land that you have to pay one for that can tap to add mana of any color to your mana pool. Both of those cards, I think this is sealed specific, certainly, but I could see them being you know, doable and good in draft. I saw some sweet uh, PT draft decks tweeted that had like multiple mana geodes in them. So um, I have high hopes for them in draft as well. But I think these two cards are great in sealed and you really, really want to open many copies of them because they give you a lot of flexibility in building your sealed pools.
1: Yeah. First on my list is Arlen's Wolf. That's the tuna green three, two. It can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. I know Ben's going to be poo pooing my ground pounder here, but I have been very impressed by this card in Sealed. I have often seen it get in for six or nine points of damage before something comes down to block it. You know, in, against non green opponents, it is hard to get a creature down that can block this effectively. An evasive three power threat for three mana, I think is quite strong.
0: I agree. I've been impressed with the wolf. Next on my list is War Screecher and Sky Theater Strix, aka cheap evasive threats. So War Screecher is the one in a white, For the 1-3 flyer, that can pay 6 to tap to give all your team other than it plus 1 plus 1 until end of turn. And Sky Theater Strix is 1 and a blue for the 1-2 flyer. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell gets plus 1 plus 0 until end of turn. I think both of these are premium ways to affect the board early and pressure your opponent's planeswalkers. Specifically, Sky Theater Strix Being able to do two damage if you cast a non-creature spell. Now, you're not jamming that in a deck with only five non-creature spells, but if you get a blue deck that has 10, 11, 12 non-creature spells, I think Sky Theater Strix is a really good way to pressure Planeswalkers in Sealed. And I certainly think, you know, both of these cards appeared in a lot of draft decks tweeted at the PT that seemed to do pretty well on Twitter.
1: Yeah. Next up, I've got Vraska Swarm's Eminence. We talked about this card already. Uh, I think it's one of the best uncommon. Certainly, I think it's the best uncommon Planeswalker. It's super strong, making two 1-1 Death Touch creatures. Static ability is great in proliferate colors, yada, yada, yada.
0: Next on my list is Toll of the Invasion. This is two and a black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. And as if that wasn't enough, you get to amass one. So this card has been super impressive for my opponents. And once I realized it was good about two Sealed's in, I've not had the pleasure of opening it until the Sealed I just opened on MTGO that I haven't played with yet that I'm super stoked to play with two copies of this card. I think this card does a lot. It's a way to combat the bombs in the format before they get on the battlefield or out of hand. And amass one tacked on just makes this card great in Sealed. And I think it's probably going to pull its weight in draft as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, Number three on my list is Kiora, Behemoth, Beckoner. This is two and a Simic hybrid for a seven loyalty planeswalker. Whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card and minus one untap target permanent. This card has really overperformed my expectations. I think you and I initially, I feel like we were like high on it and then we realized that the static ability wasn't quite what we thought it was. So we were lower on it. Three mana for seven loyalty is just so much. And the fact, so like you can just sort of, you can often just play this on a naked board and then your opponent has to decide like, well, am I going to attack it with my thing or not? And so if they ignore it or not, it doesn't matter. Like now it's down to five or four loyalty. And if you've put it in a deck where you can, or you've you know decided to play it on a naked board state where you can then untap, play a four power creature. So you're going to immediately recoup your cards worth of value. Maybe you're using it to ramp into a, a five drop on the following turn, that sort of thing. It also like a, has this ability to, well, I don't have a thing to ramp into, but I do now get to attack with my fatty and then untap it to protect Kiora some more. I've been very impressed with this card, and I'm looking forward to getting to try and maximize it even more in draft.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be real in draft, and I've seen it be good in Sealed as well. I've been impressed with Kiora as well. Next on my list is Bloom Hulk. This is three and a green for the four-four and when ETBs proliferate. I didn't have this in my top green commons. I think it's my number two green common, pushing into number one green common territory. Whoa. I think this is going to be insane in draft. It's been really good in sealed, and I think when you're building around it with proliferate synergy in mind, this is going to be busted. It's Centaur Nurture is out for me. That's the three and a green two-four that taps for any color mana. You gain three. Yeah. That's out of my top three green commons, and Bloom Hulk is in.
1: Another nod towards Black Red probably being a real sacrifice archetype. I have Dreadmalkin on my list. This is a single black for a 1-1 with Menace, and you can pay 2 in a black to sack another creature or Planeswalker. Put 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on Dreadmalkin menace is quite relevant i mean this like allows you to pressure planeswalkers being able to you know sacrifice a lazatep reaver or an amass token or something in response to removal or a planeswalker that's being attacked to lethal or a planeswalker that is down to one loyalty and you don't care about its static ability like getting this up to a 3-3 menace is big game and then the fact that it's potentially threatening to get larger in combat so it has this like threat of activation thing that makes it really hard to block i've been quite impressed with this card
0: So everything I said about it in the crash course? Uh, I guess so. (laughs) I guess so. Next up, we've got Wanderer's Strike. Uh, This is my list. Four and a white uh, exile target creature for the sorcery and proliferate. This has been very impressive. I think this is ahead of Divine Arrow for me right now. Uh, And Divine Arrow is on my underperformers list uh, just to sort of shift ahead a little bit. So these sort of swapped for me. I think Divine Arrow not being able to remove a blocker has felt really bad because when your opponent has a planeswalker out it doesn't really help the planeswalker situation at all whereas wanderer strike does that quite a bit and if there's proliferate synergy going on i think i think there's enough going on there that wanderer strike is not just a clunky removal spell i think it's actively good yeah
1: and i think the Wanderer itself is also good. That's my fifth card on my over performers. This is a three and a white, five loyalty walker, prevent all non combat damage that would be dealt to you and other permanents you control. And its minus two is exile target creature with power four or greater. So I was trying to talk Ben up on this last week on the crash course, just thinking, like, well, there's not only like big creatures in the format, but there's also a mass and proliferate, which are making creatures larger. So I think this is going to have targets more often than, uh, you know, a bring to trial kind of effect that we would see in a format. But Boy, howdy, is this static ability relevant? I mean, this just shuts off all of Red's Burn. It shuts off Band Together, the green fight spell. There's just a lot of stuff where I was like, oh, wait, I can't do that. Or, oh, wait, my opponent can't do that because I have the Wanderer in play. I've been very impressed by this card. I think this is main deckable. I think this looks like sideboard material, and it's not
0: i agree i think you're right moving on to underperformers what do you got
1: going on here uh my first underperformer is god this, this is just like the version of points <laughs> this is i have bond of discipline this is four and white for a sorcery tap all creatures your opponents control creatures you control gain life link until end of turn um sleep this is not close to sleep this is not uh this may get better in draft i'm not sure but the way that games play out, I just don't know when this is going to be better than just any kind of card. You know, I obviously there <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like I feel like there's like things where you can be like, oh well when you're ahead, you can do X. It's like, yeah, but when you're ahead, you can just play anything and win. Um I could craft board states where only this would be the thing that would win me the game, but those are just, I think, going to be so few and far between because oftentimes when the board stalls out, you're both at like 18 life. Like you're not getting to 10 and then stalling where then this could maybe be the finisher you need. Um, it's just not, I think, going to be a very strong role player in this format.
0: Speaking of things we were wrong about in the crash course, I've got bolt bend on my underperformers list. So this is three and a red change the target of target speller ability with a single target. And then if you control a creature with power four or greater, you can cast it for a single red mana. So despite the fact that I got totally blown out by this earlier today, (laughs) I texted you a picture of this. So I cast Davriel's shadow fugue on my opponent who had two cards in hand. And so I sh- thought I was nabbing their last two cards. <laughs> they cast Bolt Bend on my <laughs> Daryl <down-wheel laughs> Shadow Feak, so like three for one off this bolt bend. It was absolutely brutal. But despite that, I've been looking at this card, my sealed pools, and I, I don't think I'm ever putting it in my deck in sealed. I could still see maybe playing it in draft, but it's it's a very narrow card. Yeah,
1: I still I still contend sideboard material. I have a Radic Visionary on my list. This is the one in a blue one three, and you can pay one in a blue tap it to draw a card and discard a card. Uh, so here's a feeling that i have i don't know if one threes are good in this format one yeah there are a lot of three twos running around what i should say is one power creatures specifically feel quite bad to me and i don't know why that is but i think it's because it feels like, like they can't really defend things super well because there's a lot of there's not a lot of one toughness creatures
0: yeah, I would agree with that. That makes sense. I I felt fine about erratic visionary. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a bad card, but maybe just less good than you thought it was.
1: Right. Yeah, that's I was right. So I should specify. I still don't think this is a bad card, but I th- I think I had this as my like second best blue common and I think it would be lower now. I'm just not super crazy. One on a blue also is expensive. It doesn't feel like like the tapper, the white tapper that's only one mana to activate. It feels like you can slot that one mana in. You can fit that in every turn.
0: Fitting in one in a blue every turn is much more difficult. Right. I have not. That's what I've found in sealed is that it's been rare that I've had the time to fit in looting. And if I am fitting in looting, I'm falling behind on board and then I'm losing the game anyway. So it's only it only is really relevant whenever the board stalls out, Mm -hmm. which I don't think this card is helping you do. Right. Yep. Hear that. Next is Heartfire on my list. This is one in a red, deal four damage to any target as an additional cost to cast it. Sacrifice a creature or planeswalker, I think. I had this at my number two red common. It's out of my top red commons list. I was way wrong about this card. It's maybe fine as a one of will probably get better in draft when you can build around it in the black, red sacrifice deck, but certainly has underperformed my expectations in sealed. Yeah, I think this will definitely get better in draft where you have the opportunity to probably get your hands
1: on 15 creatures or whatever. But in sealed, it's just so hard when you look at your deck that has like 11 or 10 creatures. You're like, how the heck am I supposed to play this thing? Right. Uh Soren's thirst is on my list here. Uh Black, black to deal two damage to a creature and you gain two life. Black Black is pretty prohibitive, certainly in Sealed. You like have to be base black for it to be good. And I think you said this on stream or something, or, or to me, that there's just really a very narrow window where Soren's Thirst is going to be good. Like if you draw it late, it's probably not picking off anything relevant. And even early on, like you have to sort of hit the thing at the right time, or else proliferate or amass can get things out of range or whatever. I just think it's uh, too prohibitive a mana cost and too little of an effect.
0: Yep, I agree with all that. Callous dismissal is next on my list. This is one and a blue for the bounce spell at sorcery speed that has a mass one tacked onto it. I had this as my number two blue common. I don't think it's in my top blue commons anymore. The first copy is very good. Like always playing the first copy might even play the second copy, but I don't think you're going to end up needing to pick it that highly in draft. And it's awkward because you don't want to fire it off on turn two. Usually like it's like a turn six play or something. And by then The one one doesn't matter or it's like a plus one plus one counter on your army, which is also not necessarily irrelevant. I just I think they get worse in multiples. There might be a draft archetype, you know, blue, black, a mass or something where you want to play three copies. But in sealed, I really want the first copy and I don't want much more than that, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I I think I'm with you there. I I think this is another card that's going to get markedly better in draft. I have Rising Populist up next. That's the two and a white 2-2, and whenever another creature you control dies, you can put a plus-plus-one counter on it. Again, I think this will get much better in draft, where you have the opportunity to have creatures in play that will die, um, where you can have uh, more proliferate synergy. So once this gets a counter, you can load up on it, uh, where you can maybe build what I think will be a sweet, maybe white, black, like a mass, sacrifice-y, token-y, maybe there's a deck there thing. But none of that is happening in seal. The three mana two, two is just blech.
0: Yeah, I'm off rising Populous. Next on my list is Aid the fallen. That's the one in a black raised dead for a creature and or a planeswalker. This card has been pretty unimpressive, even with like, you know, four planeswalkers in my deck. It's pretty rare that you get a creature and a planeswalker when you do. It feels great. But casting this card for one in a black return target creature to your hand feels pretty bad. I think this is probably only going to be a one of in most decks, and I don't think it's anywhere near the top black commons. Mm-hmm.
1: My last underperformer is Charity Extractor. This is the three in a black one five with lifelink. Again, I looked at this card and I didn't think it was like in my top black commons or anything, but I was like, this is a great blocker. This is It has like lifelink, which is nice. It can protect things such a high toughness. But again, I think one power creatures like these, like uh, one, three, one, four, one, five creatures are not well positioned. I don't think one power is a relevant stat in this format.
0: Yep. And last on my list I mentioned earlier was Divine Arrow. That's the one on a white deal four damage target attacking or blocking creature. When you nab an attacker that's like killing you with this, you feel pretty great. But when you need to clear away a blocker to get at a planeswalker or something, this feels pretty terrible. I think it's definitely worse than I thought it was. And I think I've got the Wanderer's Strike ahead of it in the top white commons now. So you'd probably say is Wanderer's
1: Strike your top white common? no you guys still got the pegasus there i still got
0: the tapper there followed oh, tapper, by the, pegasus. the tapper the tapper yeah yeah keep, the keep tapper has been very impressive for me yeah the tapper is fantastic and i think that's all we wanted to get through for sealed so we're going to do a little pack one pick one maybe a little bit deeper uh, on this card sphere draft simulator so you can go to draft.cardsphere.com and they've got a sweet draft simulator so we've got one queued up here ethan would you like to take a seat at our very first war of the spark round table boy howdy would i all right, options here is a pretty stacked pack. Uh, your rare is poopy. It's Ravnica at War, three and a white exile, all multicolored permanents. That's not in contention at all. There's Kaya, Bane of the Dead, three Orzhov, Orzhov, Orzhov hybrid mana for the seven loyalty walker. Your opponents and permanent your opponents control with hexproof can be targeted as though they didn't have hexproof and minus three to exile target creature. Elite guard mage, two white blue for the two, three flyer. When it ETBs, you gain three life and draw a card. The card has been super solid. And then there's a couple great common removal spells here. There's Obnixilus's Cruelty, two in a black for the instant. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. And Jaya's Greeting, one in a red instant. Jaya's Greeting deals three damage to target creature, scry one.
1: So I think with Obnixilus's Cruelty in the pack, you can rule out any other common, right? That's the best common in the set.
0: Yes, hands down.
1: Okay, so then we've got that versus the to uncommons i would not include invade the city there so i'd be between kaya and elite guard mage yep it's tough my guess is that obnixless's cruelty is the responsible pick you know it's cheap It's going to kill like almost everything dead. It's instant speed. You can splash it, right? Single colored like Kaya is flexible, but it's very expensive and very color committing to either black or white. Elite guard mage has been really impressive. I like getting that kind of effect early because then you can like prioritize bounce or blink or, you know, maybe then you make a Johnny's pride mate better. I mean, it's just a really good card all around um i think i would probably even take a leap guard mage over kaya at this point i like kaya a lot but in draft i'm not worried about getting removal i think there's a lot of removal in this format
0: yeah i hear that so what are you on i think i'm on cruelty that was also my choice for all the same reasons you listed moving on to pack one pick two this is a lot tougher of a pick you see the following cards as options there's a challenger troll four and a green for the six five each creature you control with power four greater it can't be blocked by more than one creature There's Bond of Insight, which I think is going to be a super sweet build around in draft. Three and a blue, each player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. Return up to two instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. Exile Bond of Insight. And then we're dipping into the commons. There's Centaur Nurturer, three and a green for a 2-4. When ETBs you gain three life, tap to add a mana of any color. There's Davriel's Shadow Fugue is like the best black card. Three and a black, sorcery target player discards two cards and loses two life. There's a Heartfire running around. That's one and a red for the instant. Uh, as an additional cost to cast it. Sack a creature or a Planeswalker. Deal four damage to any target. But it's pretty slim pickings in this pack.
1: Yeah, this is slim pickings. I think it's between Challenger Troll and Bond of Insight. And I, I think... You know, just sort of for science, I'm going to pick Bond of Insight because I haven't gotten to play with it yet. And I'm interested in like, is there a Demir Spells deck? Is there a Blue Red Spells deck? Like, I know what Challenger Troll is doing. I know it's a good card, but I don't think it's like super irreplaceable. Like, how much better than Bloom Hulk is this? And, you know, sometimes it'll be better. Sometimes it'll be slightly worse
0: even. So I don't think it's something you need to, like, prioritize super highly. I'm excited to hear you say that because that's what I would have taken as well. And then moving on to the next pack, see the following cards as options. There's an Arlen voice of the pack, four green, green, seven loyalty, each creature you control that's a wolf or a werewolf enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it, and minus two to create a two, two green wolf creature token, which will essentially then be a two, two with a plus one, plus one counter. And then other options in the pack, there's a band together, two and a green instant up to two target creatures you control deal damage equal their power to another target creature. There's a Soren's Thirst, black, black, instant, deals two damage to target creature, and you gain two. There's a Bloom Hulk, three and a green for the four, four when an ETBs proliferate. And maybe if you want to go deep on blue-black spells, there's up to Fairy's Time Twist, one and a blue instant exile target permanent you control, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So make sure when you cast this, you don't do it on your opponent's end step. Do it on their second main phase. And if it enters the battlefield as a creature, it enters with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like we're getting any black goodies after taking the Obnixilis' cruelty, because as I said, I'm not into taking Sorin's Thirst here. Three really strong green cards in Arlen, Voice of the Pack, Band Together, and Bloom Hulk. And I think I'm going to take the cheapest of the bunch and what I believe to be the best of the bunch in Band Together.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty close between that and Bloom Hulk, but I think Band Together is probably the responsible pick early on. Mm-hmm. So. That's a great way to wet your palate. I can't wait until Monday. <laughs> yeah. When draft goes live. Are you uh, you going to take a sick day? I'm, you sound like you're you're not feeling well.
1: <laughs> yeah, just got a little cough going on. It's been hard to shake here. I wonder if I do I make that joke every
0: time. It's like the weekend before we can draft on Monday. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, but I am seriously considering it this time around. There's 15 days of school left. Uh, things are wrapping up rapidly. The kids aren't going to miss me for a day. It'll be fine. Wow. Yeah, but Twitch will miss you if you're not there. That's right. All right. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make
1: sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on the mean streets of the internebs. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same usernames on Twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited.
0: If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com.
1: Thank you so much. I hope you crushed your pre-releases this weekend, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I know what you're going to say here. Holy Batman patrons. (laughs) Holy patrons. Batman. (laughs) Couldn't have said it better myself.